You are tuned into 106.7 KZLXLP Maryville. My name is Will Linder, and you're listening to another episode of The Best Take, a podcast in which four guys who aren't smart enough to make their own films spend their time criticizing those who can. With me today are my friends, Kyle Harris. Howdy. And Cody Nance. Oh, ho. And uh, Wes, our fourth amigo, is out for this episode. Uh, it seems he's landed on a Cush gig house sitting for this dope hotel in Colorado. Should give him plenty of time to work on that novel he's been uh, he's been working up on. Oh, I've actually stayed at that place before. I, I hear they have the best red rum in the country. <laughs> well, so for this week's episode, we're going to discuss our favorite monologues in cinema history. Uh, this is pretty broad. Uh, we're here to talk about our favorite quotes, our favorite speeches, and sometimes full-on soliloquies. Um, so I know we all have our personal favorites. Um, well, I don't know if this is your favorite, but uh, you saw a movie Vice last year, and you really liked a certain scene from it. Can you talk us through it? Yeah, so Vice is uh, about the life and career, political career of um, Dick Cheney, who was the uh, former vice president under President Bush. And he did a whole bunch of stuff um, in regards to the, the Iraq War and um, kind of leading up to their the big events that happened. And um, he was a controversial guy because some say that he shouldn't, he should have never had that much power in office considering that the vice president is more of a traditional role rather than like a, a, a one of etiquette. So um, at the very end of the movie, um, he gives this um, Christian Bale who looks like with prosthetics and makeup, you know, looks exactly like Dick Cheney, you know, um, he gives this, very um, subtle and almost like a wrap up of the his his entire movie, you know, um, you to this reporter. Subtle. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna disagree with you there too. But go ahead and f- wrap up. Well, and then we'll talk. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I said subtle because there's a lot of like parts in the movie where it's like, wow, like this is like aggressive and like ah. Okay, so, so maybe maybe this this monologue isn't subtle. What's been leading up to it has been subtle. And now is when everything is laid on the table and you're like, wow. Yeah. I feel like that would be probably better wording. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the very end of this monologue is basically him talking about like why he, he wanted to go into this, uh, war after nine 11, uh, specifically the Iraq war and, um, how like he doesn't necessarily want to apologize for anything because he feels like, that was the right thing to do um, in America's best interest. Um, and so he's telling this mostly to the reporter, but he actually breaks the fourth wall and addresses the audience in this monologue. And um, I just think it's really powerful. So Yeah, so in the speech, um, they're kind of talking about, like Will said, about like, do you regret your actions? Obviously, any conflict like this has consequences. Was it worth it? And he gives this speech that's like, tell me what terrorist attack you would have let happen so you didn't look like the bad guy. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's like, um, I I thought it was like, yeah, the opposite of subtle. This is where everything kind of like reaches a really breaking point. Um, Another thing I'll bring up about the movie, have have we all seen it? Cody, have you seen it? No. Okay, well, there's, it's, it's kind of a complicated film in the sense that there's multiple timelines and like a couple different narrators even. Uh, but one of the narrators that does a couple different monologues throughout the film um, is like a Iraqi war veteran. Uh, what's the name of the gentleman who he was in like three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? Jesse I, I don't. I don't specifically know the actor, but um, I thought that was a really cool idea on director Adam McKay's part mm-hmm. uh, for the film. Basically, um, 
he he is pretty much like the narrator for it. Um, he's basically, and again, it has like two different timelines. So you show it has Dick way Cheney, more than two timelines. It's kind of a confusing film. Yeah, you well, have okay, like so many, three or four. Um, so Dick Cheney, like he has his political like career and life and stuff. Um, and it kind of it really jumps you know in between things but then you also have this like iraqi war vet who is narrating the story of dick cheney but he's also like doing like the regular things throughout his life you know where he has like a wife and kids um and eventually um spoil alert he um this iraqi war vet you know gets hit by a um a, a truck at the end of the movie um paralyzes him and he pretty much dies and so um the, the whole tie-in with the narrator and Dick Cheney is that um, the narrator ends up being like the organ donor um, coincidentally to Dick Cheney. And that's he gets like a, a heart transplant or something. Mm. Um, I just thought that was like a really, really cool idea on, on director Adam McKay's part. Yeah, it's definitely like doesn't pull any punches. Like he goes for the jugular as much as he can against Dick Cheney. So. And I feel like um, a lot of these monologues that we have mostly talk about um the the day ins and day outs of life um I, i'm sure that the iraqi war vet had no idea that he would die that day as he was riding his bicycle i think that he was much more um there was there was almost like a bigger risk for him to you know die in iraq or afghanistan or wherever the film shows him you know he's narrating the the story but he's also like you can see him like fighting through like these wars and stuff like that and he was supposed to die there but he dies in in his civilian life but um i guess speaking of civilian lives moving you know forward with our list um you Kyle talked about kind of the, the the turn of the century as in 1999, where um, a lot of films came out, you know, very almost like on top of each other, like only mm-hmm. like, like a couple months apart. And um, 1999 was a great year for films. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So there's three movies that all have great monologues in them. And it's actually kind of works out well because each one of us really kind of loves one of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so within like 16 months, uh, Fight Club, one of Cody's favorite films. American Beauty, one of Will's favorite movies, and then American Psycho, a movie I really like. Uh, They all come out, and they all feature middle-aged suburban guys. I guess Patrick Bateman in American Psycho isn't suburban, but um, middle-aged guys who are kind of driven insane or driven to a breaking point or just completely burnt out on their prescribed lives. Mm -hmm. Um, They live pretty comfortable lives for the most part. Um, but there's just something that's not right. Um, there's something missing. And, you know, for um, American Beauty, it's like, um, oh, I can't remember the, the actress's name, but um, it's the teenage girl of um, his his daughter, like his daughter's friend Thora or something Birch, like that. I think, or is that his daughter? Um, I think that's his daughter. I'm gotcha. not sure. But, um, and then, like, you, you move to American Psycho, and he just has, like, you know, horrible, like, sociopathic tendencies of like Mm -hmm. wanting to hurt and kill people um in the means of power Mm -hmm. you know so you have like two really big things right there and i think it just all kind of you know um um, it's like a big triangle i guess of the same themes do you want to talk about fight club uh fight club is probably my favorite movie of all time uh i really enjoy it's like deeper stuff i can watch this movie over and over again from different characters perspectives and see it differently um uh it's really just a study about a guy with insomnia and the various out there ways to cure it and 
consumerism is bad and toxic masculinity is also bad, which it's also one of the most analyzed wrong movies. Because, like, when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, I want to be exactly like Tyler Durden. Mm-hmm. When the movie's specifically telling you, hey, Tyler Durden's not a good thing for this guy. You should not want to be like him. You may be bored of your life or whatever, but punching yourself in the face every night isn't going to help that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like, like an onion, as Shrek would say. This right. movie has layers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... uh was I going to say there? Yeah, I think that um, specifically American Psycho and American Beauty, maybe Fight Club too. I'll throw it in mm-hmm. there. It's all kind of about the American dream and like Office Space came out around that time too. Yeah, that's Will what we were going to mention. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, tying this into monologues though, they all kind of write on similar themes of being unhappy with your life and wanting to do like drastic changes to it. Um, so, for instance, I guess in Office Space, which came out like I think nine days after I was born, you know, like in <laughs> 1999, yeah. um, it's it's all about the the main character who wants to do something different with his life, and um, he gets you know uh, hypnotized by a, uh, a per- hypnosis person doctor it was know. like a therapist a therapist yeah, yeah. um and like he dies in while <laughs> giving him like treatment <laughs> or whatever um but his life ultimately becomes better and so um one of the more like notable monologues in that movie is um uh, peter who's the main character he's mm-hmm. talking with his uh two um associates one of them's uh the one whose name is really hard to pronounce like that's the joke and then the other one is uh, michael Michael bolton Bolton. (laughs) yeah um and so he's basically talking about like our guidance counselor you know wanted to set us up for you know a lot of success and stuff but they never really mentioned the part of like you know the the day in and day outs of work and stuff Mm -hmm. Um, i thought that was like a really cool part of the movie that kind of gets overlooked um because it kind of sets up like the ultra theme theme for uh the movie yeah so i have a couple of these monologues like written down so we can analyze them um let's let's kind of start with american beauty because i think that that's maybe the most tame or like grounded of these three films okay. that we've talked about um so at the end of american beauty uh this is your big spoiler alert for american beauty if you Wee- haven't seen it Wee- you've had like 20 years so it's on you we're gonna talk about it uh kevin spacey dies he actually says that in the beginning of the movie. He says, hi, my name's Kevin Spacey, or whatever his character name is. I don't remember. But he says, uh, and I'm going to be dead in less than a year. And so then the movie Lester. goes on. Lester. My name's Lester, and I'm going to be dead within the year. And so at the end of the movie, he gets shot, and he's kind of recapping his life. And he says, um, I had always heard your entire life flashes in front of your eyes the second before you die. First of all, that one second isn't a second at all. It stretches on forever like an ocean of time. For me... It was lying on my back at scout camp, watching falling stars and yellow leaves from the maple trees that lined our street, or my grandmother's hands in the way her skin seemed like paper. And the first time I saw my cousin Tony's brand new firebird, and my daughter Janie, and Janie, and Carolyn, my wife. I guess I could be pretty pissed off about what happened to me, but it's hard to stay mad when there's so much beauty in the world. Sometimes I feel like I'm seeing it all at once, and it's too much. My heart fills up like a balloon that's about to burst. And then I remember to relax and stop trying to hold on to it. And then it flows through me like rain. And I can't feel anything but gratitude for every single moment of my stupid little life. You have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm sure. But don't worry. You will someday. 
So that's kind of like a big recap mm-hmm. of his life. It's funny that we talked about, you know, the American dream and maybe disillusionment with it. But at the end of the film, when he's dying, his big takeaway is like a Norman Rockwell painting. You know what I mean? It's like all goes back to that kind of American dream, idyllic life. He's like, wow, look what I did have. You know, I like look, look back at me at scout camp as a kid or like how exciting things used to be and how I used to notice these like subtleties in the world. I don't know. What do you think about this, Will? This is one of your favorite movies. Well, uh, this is one of my favorite movies. And I'm like, I think that you might have seen it like just at the wrong time. And that's something that we talked about. Because like when you're in high school, this movie's like super, super deep. And I saw it like maybe 12 times in high school. Um, so like you can kind of see where like the, the thematics for that is. But um, there, there's another really cool part in the movie um, with a not really cool, but like it's it's kind of like more philosophical. It's about the um, the kid that Jane, the daughter, is interested in. Um, they are watching this film that he, you know, had on his camera, and it's this bag, you know, being tossed in the wind like a like a grocery shopping bag and he's basically going on about like how sometimes like there's so much like you know sincere beauty in the world that i feel like i can't like take it and so maybe like the big part of american beauty that i like is there there's so much more than like the the glitz and and you know big lights of of like of life in general like there's so much more to like um just being exposed to all this like you know happiness all the time and stuff and a lot of a lot of things can be like super small and that the little things kind of make um a a more i'm struggling for words here but like uh it it gives you like a more um better experience Mm -hmm. um just with like life in general and you feel gratitude from that because you have these things so it's 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 a pretty deep film and i mean i can see like why a lot of people probably would not be super comfortable with it but i feel like it hits spot on on like you know focus on like what you have and like you know not try don't try to be something that you're not it's a big part of like lester's character in that movie Mm -hmm. so lester is 100 percent a victim of this american dream cycle of like wanting more than you'll ever have um, our next two films that we've already discussed, American Psycho and Fight Club, are more like, yeah, these guys are victims, mm-hmm. but they also, rather than like take it or rather than just dying, they like burn it to the ground. Um, yeah. So in the case of American Psycho, uh, this is a pretty famous scene, but um, our, our main character, Christian Bale, is about to axe murder someone. He's drugged them, and they're on his couch, and he puts in a CD. He goes, do you like Huey Lewis in the news? Uh, that's what CD is playing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's the sports album. Uh, and the guy's like, yeah, kind of through slurred words. And he goes, their early work was a little too new way for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. The whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. He's been compared to Elvis Costello, but I think Huey has far more better, cynical sense of humor. And, like, while he's doing this, he's, like, yeah. getting the axe ready. He's, like, sharpening it. and like He's putting, putting on, on a raincoat. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Then, like, the guy makes a comment where it's, like, what do you have a uh, thing? He's, like, very drunk or whatever. Yeah. You have all this like, plastic on the floor. Why, why do you have all this yeah. newspaper? Do you have a, do you have a little dog <laughs> carry around? Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite. And the, the guy is uh, Jared Leto, by the way. Yeah. So. And then Christian Bale, who plays um, uh, um, Patrick, Patrick Bateman. Bateman. He's, like, you know, know how. And then he keeps going, like, through the things and 
stuff. Yeah. And then the very, do you have the very ending uh, to that where it's like, but they should because it's not about the. Da, 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 da. Do you have that? I'm sorry. Oh, it's, it, it's so great. But it is great. Yeah. So he he gets like um he's just talking about like this album for like a while. Um, a running theme through the uh, movie is that he'll play an album of like some sorts. It takes place in like 1987, 88 or mm-hmm. whatever. And um, he usually will play like an album before uh, he kills his, his victims and stuff. So another one is like Phil Collins. Like Mariah Carey's um, in there. I whoever think. sings Lady in Red or something. Yeah. I, maybe that's in there too. Um, but it's like Whitney just Houston, like a, that's it. Whitney Houston's in there. He's just like a, Mariah. such a sick person that, you know, he gets like joy out of it. Um, and so then, uh, you know, Paul who Jared Leto, Jared Leto, Jared, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, uh, uh, he, he's basically like about to kill him and stuff. And like the, my favorite part in that monologue is when he's like, you know, but it's not about the contemporary work. It's also about a social statement about the band. Hey, Paul. And then he <laughs> chops his head yeah, off or yeah. something. So I really enjoyed that part. But so that's like one guy who has been corrupted by this system. Yeah. And he's like literally killing people to express himself. Whereas fight club almost is like a movement because right. there's like a whole group of guys that, Edward Norton convinces, like, hey, you know what we should really do is, like, just yeah. beat each other up, right? Yeah, and then, like, later on it evolves to, like, blowing up pieces of arts and stuff like that. But um, the great thing about the rules monologue is it's the most iconic. It's the most iconic line from a lot of cinema. Mm-hmm. Like, you talk to anybody, you, you say, yeah, I really like Fight Club. And then they'll be like, hope. Oh. <laughs> first rule of fight club is you don't talk about fight club and that is really annoying to me being a big fan of fight club because there are <laughs> so many more rules than that because you see welcome to fight club the first rule of fight club is you do not talk about fight club the second rule of fight club is you do not talk about fight club third rule of fight club if someone yells stop goes limp or taps out the fight is over fourth rule only two guys to a fight Fifth rule, one fight at a time, fellas. And then everybody laughs. Um, <laughs> sixth rule, the fights are bare knuckle. No shirt, no shoes, no weapons. Seventh rule, fight will fights will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule of Fight Club is, if this is your first time at Fight Club, you have to fight. And then we go into a montage of uh, sweaty guys fighting in a basement. Yeah, so I think what really makes that I'm a huge Brad Pitt fan, but Brad Pitt is just the coolest dude on the planet. So obviously he has this magnetic screen presence. um, And I think that's part of the reason that this quote is stuck around is because it's a very cool moment for the character where, I mean, we haven't really exposed him as like a really evil guy yet. Or I Mm -hmm. mean, evil side of Edward Norton's personality. So like you can still look at him and be like, wow, he's really he's the cool guy. Yes, he hasn't necessarily done anything bad yet. At this point, he's still just kind of a go-against-the-system kind of guy that uh, a lot of teenagers or whatever would want to be like. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why it's so mesmerizing when he gives his speech and you're like, yeah, that sounds like a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> Only you, Cody. Well, I guess a lot of people, just not right. me. <laughs> but like, um, I guess all these kind of tie in together where it's just, you know, like – screw conformity and yeah. like we're gonna do something different and we're gonna mm-hmm. do something about this world because it's like the turn of the century and it all has those kinds of of themes and stuff speaking about doing something about the world <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> oh hack transition God. but we're gonna <laughs> talk about independence day in one of the most famous monologues in cinema history um 
everybody's familiar with this movie, I think, at least in this room. Yeah. Uh, aliens are attacking the Earth. They started with the White House, but now humanity is collected as one. We've got one chance to like blow up the, the mothership or whatever they want to call it in this yeah. franchise. Um, and so the president of the United States has got to give a speech to like rile up the troops. And I'll, I'll give us a taste of it real quick. But this is and, like... And who's the president? Is it Bill Paxton? It is. Yeah, okay. Bill Paxton. So we have Bill Paxton riling up troops from many nations of the world with this speech. Uh, it just so happens, obviously, the movie's titled Independence Day because this like last chance ditch effort to blow up the mothership, uh, this is all going down on July 4th. So he says, in less than an hour, aircrafts from here will join others from around the world, and you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind. That word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We are fighting for the right to live, to exist. And should we win today, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We are going to live on. We are going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. And then all the troops yeah. go, woo! Uh, quick correction. It's not Bill Paxton. It's Bill Pullman. I get those two mixed ah, up constantly. Those two people are the same. Yeah, they might as well be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, going off of Independence Day, and even though this isn't on the list, have you guys ever seen Henry V? No. The okay. Kenneth Branagh? Yeah. No. It's like <laughs> super boring for like most of the part, but I gave it like four stars on Letterboxd. Yeah, it's okay. super boring, so I gave it four stars. But well, I mean, obviously Shakespeare's the, got some the great coolest writing. Part, the coolest part of that entire movie is um, the St. Crispin's Day speech when he's like riling up the people, you know, to, to like invade France or whatever. Um, and Kenneth Branagh, for those of you who don't know, um, he basically does like, I guess, live action remakes of Shakespearean work. So he's done Hamlet before. Henry V is another big one. But um, there's a couple more, I, I believe. And in, in this scene, it's like, you know, he uh, Henry V, you know, he comes up there on the on like this pedestal or whatnot. And he's like, this is, uh, you know, St. Crispin's Day. And we all the gentlemen in England shall rise and see that we have won. And it's like the super powerful like thing and stuff. And it makes mm-hmm. you want to like, you know, go out and do a cartwheel or something, you know. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> okay. But on the topic of Independence Day, I want to highlight one specific line. Um because I'm pretty sure this is a quote from like a famous poem, and maybe you guys know which one it is. But okay. I, uh, he says, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. That reminds me of the poem they cite in Interstellar. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Isn't um, there like a big part where Michael Caine like reads Matthew that, that, That's an actual poem. Yeah, he's um, like, we will not go quietly into that dark night something like that. It's the Dylan Thomas poem. Um, it's like a really famous one. It's, um, oh, what's the... Hold on. Maybe I can see, like, how it goes. But it's but. been used in a lot of movies. It's super effective, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, do not, do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave that close day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And so, Dylan, some context. Dylan Thomas is a poet. He mm-hmm. wrote that for his, like, father, and it's used in a lot of different films, like um, Independence Day, Interstellar, um, a couple of other ones I forget, but... Yeah. Um, it's a he's he's a good poet. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of. I mean, those are similar. I don't know 
if they directly quote him because there's small differences. Um, but the two common themes I think we'll find on this list of monologues we talk about are a lot of people's like last words before dying is a big time for monologues like American Beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of like get the troops ready speeches. You know what I mean? So a lot of like call to action and a lot of this is what I've learned before dying. And I think those are two recipes for a good monologue. Would mm-hmm. you guys agree? I, I would agree. Also agree. Yeah. yeah. I think that it's, it provides like more emotional um, appeal to like the audience. And I think that's why they do it because, you know, after death, you know, what is there? Um, and a lot of things, but you know, like on the, on the basis of kind of motivation and hyping people up, we can go, we could do like, you know, three episodes about monologues in that case. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so many. Like, um, uh, isn't there like a big one in Braveheart? Yeah. I mean like the, yeah. they, they may take, take our, our wives, freedom, but they yeah, will yeah, not take our freedom. freedom. Well, if you want to talk about inspiration, um, this isn't exactly like pumping up the troops, uh, but the film Glen Gary, Glen Ross, uh, pretty famous monologue in that from Alec Baldwin, where uh, the film is about salesmen. I'm going to be honest; I don't. I think they sell like timeshares, uh, but they're given a lot of bad leads. These like three or four salesmen. One's Jack Lemon. One's Ed Harris. Um, and like, it's impossible not to feel sorry for these guys because they've got bad leads on who to sell to. And Alec Baldwin comes in, and he's like from corporate, and he gives this expletive laden speech about like. You guys are worthless. You can't sell with these leads that, you know, the companies worked really hard to give to you. And uh, it's been parodied a lot. Like SNL had a skit uh, in like the early 2000s where they like they put it in Santa's workshop when Alec Baldwin hosted. <laughs> you guys yeah. know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that was He's like one. always be cobbling or something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's like some really famous lines from it where like Alec Baldwin's like, we're redoing the, uh, the, uh, the, the sales promotion this year. First prize? First prize is a new Cadillac. <laughs> Second prize? Second prize is a nice set of steak knives. You want to know what third prize is? Third prize is you're fired. <laughs> like <it's laughs> third prize is you're fired. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's it it's meant to scare the crap out of these guys into like going and selling better. Um, but it really it, it's one of my favorite monologues and like yeah. how effectively Alec Baldwin can just consume an entire room and like dominate these like three or four guys. Like one of them will speak up and be like, "Hey, you can't talk to me like this," and he'll just be like, "Look at my watch. My watch costs more than your house. I paid one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars for this watch. I'll say whatever I want." <laughs> just like shuts them down completely. So that's uh, a really cool monologue. The the freedom speech from Braveheart's actually pretty short and it's a it is good rouse up the, the troops one because they like took over england with rocks or something like that uh, <laughs> kind of they declared independence from england well here i am i'm gonna be scottish now <laughs> okay cool. oh no i fight and you may die run and you'll live at least a while well, hold on a <laughs> it goes run and you'll live <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah what are you lord michaels <laughs> and you'll live <laughs> and dying in your beds many years from now would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that one to that what? Okay, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that that for one chance? Just one chance to come one back chance. here. That one chance. And tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Oh, it's lives? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought it was wives. Because of the, well, <laughs> Prima Nocta is a major theme in that film. If yeah. you watch like at the beginning, they take like the dude's wife and kill her. I I think do they kill no, her? No, Prima Nocta is the name. They might, but um, there there used to be King had entitlement um, to 
do whatever he wanted to with a wife on her wedding day. Um, and that was something that the Scottish people really didn't like. So that was a major part of the movie. It yeah. was like, stop doing this. <laughs> stop taking our wives. I guess. Uh, I want to talk a bit about, so maybe these are monologues. Maybe there's a different word for it. But a lot of times there is narration at the start of a film. I call just kind of like yeah, kind of like knowledge drop or set the scene. So the first one that comes to my mind is Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Have we all seen Moonrise Kingdom? Mm-hmm. Yes. So it starts with Bob Balaban, who's a fantastic actor, um, and he's got his like little red stocking cap, or maybe it's green, and a red jacket, and his like rain boots on, um, and they use cutting really effectively because he'll like start next to like a you know a little seaside inlet and he'll say this is the island of new penzance and then it'll cut to like him in a field but the same framing just like different location and he'll say 16 miles long forested with old growth pine and maple crisscrossed by shallow tidal creeks like cut again and now he's like by this old farmhouse and it's like uh, an important seabird habitat there are no paved roads but instead many miles of intersecting footpaths and dirt trails like just kind of setting up like the location of the film in like a really entertaining uh, but also informational way well, it's it's almost like quirky i think i've mentioned on the show before that like characters like bobs are some of my favorites mm. just like they're they're really enthused about like the environment but like nobody else really cares and it's not technically like a big part of like the story mm-hmm. but they're just like super like full set on you see that in a lot of wes anderson works which mm-hmm. is what uh, moonrise kingdom is um just like you know a lot of like weird narration and stuff um but it's also like done in this kind of entertaining matter i don't know it was a good idea on his part yeah uh, another example of this, and this is really stretching what a monologue can be, mm-hmm. uh, but I think the best opening that any film has ever had, quite possibly, Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. Have we seen Starship Troopers, everyone here? Yeah. I don't think I've seen the beginning, honestly. Oh, you would love it. I've seen it. the very end. So Starship Troopers opens with, I mean, this is a sci-fi film. It takes place in like this future that's very different from our own with a unique society, so they have to explain all this to us, and the way they choose to do it is super effective. It's like you're on a website. So, like, a little mouse will go over and click play on a video that, like, you know, says, Welcome to the Army of the United States. The year is 2025, and we have to fight these, like, alien bugs. Would you like to know more? And then, Mm -hmm. like, the mouse goes and clicks, like, yes, I'd like to learn more. (laughs) And then the voice goes on, and, like, you learn more and more. Uh, But it's, like, super creative. Um, I think it really fits... The, the themes and the methods of the movie. Do you like it, Cody, or is it distracting to you? Oh, I really like it. I really, I like it a lot. I was actually thinking uh, while we're on the subject of monologues to open the movie, uh, Will and I both really like uh, Train Spotting with Ewan yeah, McGregor. Train Spotting, and that opens with just Ewan McGregor going on this choose life long rant about what you need to choose. And it goes, uh, choose life, choose a job, choose a career. And, and this is also Scottish. So just imagine. Choose a career. Imagine that's <laughs> that Scottish. pretty good. Yeah. Uh, choose a family, choose a blank, big television. He, he, he curses a few times. Uh, Ewan <laughs> McGregor, very, very naughty boy. <laughs> um, choose washing machines, uh, cars, compact disc players, and electrical tin openers. So this is kind of falling into our 1990s uh, – Society is boring thing as well. <laughs> Choose good health, low cholesterol, and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Uh, choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching l- luggage. 
Choose the three-piece suit on higher purchase in a range of uh, blank fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who the blank you are. Who the heck you are on a... a, Who the cuss you are on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Choose sitting on the couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows. Stuffing, cussing, uh, junk food into your mouth. So So he goes... This is a long one. So he goes on... I'm almost done. Oh, you're almost done. (laughs) Choose drawing away at the end of it all. Um... Uh, cuss your last in a miserable home. Nothing more than embarrassment to the selfish. Uh, cussed up brats you spawn to replace yourself. Choose your future. Choose life. A lot of swear words in that yeah. one. So. This movie is yeah, about heroin it. abuse. Still, <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, I haven't seen the whole movie. I've seen about half of it. But um, that speech, while expletive laden and, like, delivered by a druggie, and, like, while he's giving this speech, we're seeing scenes of people, like, strung out and in really bad situations. Uh, but it's still somewhat optimistic because at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, choose life. You know what I mean? Like, wow, this guy's got like a vigor to live, which is always. Aren't they running from the cops during this monologue? They're, they're running from the cops mm-hmm. um, during it. And Lust for Life, which is like one of the best oh, Iggy Pop songs ever. Yeah. Um, it's playing in the background and it's it's got that cool like drum beat like. And super like it's like super high energy and stuff. And then you see like the crew, which is like Sick Boy. And we have freeze frames of each person with their nickname. Yeah. And so like they're doing stuff, you know, and it's like some part of it's like normal things. Like they play like a soccer match you know they introduce like the 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 girls in the film with like the baby who eventually you know that something happens to the baby um but like it's like normal stuff and then it's like people strung out and like you know taking hits of heroin or whatever um just on the fly and so this is all about like you know but why would i want to choose life when i have you know heroin Mm. so that was like the (laughs) that was like the most like important part um at the very end when he's Mm -hmm. like you know because heroin takes over like your life and um you don't really care about you know the rest of those things and stuff there's a there's quite a few um monologues in that particular danny boyle film that i like and he's usually not one for monologues so okay i have kind of a switching trains of thought here (laughs) trains Um, (laughs) <laughs> train <Trains>. spotting okay <laughs> but there there are two examples on our list that have a commonality within them um passages from the bible oh. uh quoted very effectively in two very different movies mm-hmm. of course famously you have samuel L. jackson reading a passage from the book of ezekiel in pulp fiction yeah uh juxtapose that with linus reading a bible passage at the end of the charlie brown christmas special (laughs) okay linus and samuel jackson are very similar people and i'm gonna tell you why okay i'm really excited for this they both had a blanket at one point in their lives (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. no but so i mean i think that part i mean the bible's a well-written book whether you believe (laughs) what it's about or not you know there's there's some great use of language in it Uh, and i think that both films use that language very effectively um in the case of of pulp fiction let me read what um sam jackson and if i remember right he's like saying this at someone this is almost like a threat he's shouting this at somebody as he's about to shoot him so imagine i'm samuel L. jackson with a gun in your face shouting this you better impersonate samuel jackson for this i probably won't uh the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of the evil men 
Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he truly is his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. And, and then, then he pulls uh, out his gun and he's like, ah! And then John Travolta and, and Samuel Jackson shoot this guy way too many times. Yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of it definitely reminds me of um, we've talked on this show before, but the Romeo and, Ju- Romeo and Juliet movie from the '90s with Leonardo DiCaprio, oh, yeah. where like a gangster will like spin out in his car and like lean out the window and be like, "Methinks it is the summer of 1992, <laughs> and doths are in my way, maiden," or like something. You know what I mean? Like it's it's juxtaposed of like, wow, this guy is like speaking old english biblical verse but he also turns around and caps this dude <laughs> so it's just perfect and like how i don't know how different those two things are but how well they work together there's a couple really good ones i guess just in pulp fiction that might not be appropriate for this podcast but they're definitely out there mm-hmm. like the say what again fantastic oh like right. spe- i was thinking like specific well i mean like one of my favorite parts because it's like so comedic is when they bring uh, Marvin's like dead body back to Quentin Tarantino's house. Uh-huh. He's like, does it look like, you know, I hide dead body. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen the film, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of that though, you're a big fan of like the Charlie Brown Christmas special um, with Linus's speech about Christmas. And that has a lot of like biblical that, well, he reads the, the Bible. Yeah, yeah, he says, much. lights, please, and then reads a verse from the gospel about the birth of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost kind of a cop-out now that I think about it. It's like, man, how do we wrap this up? And it's like, oh, we'll just throw in something about, like, I don't know, put it all on Jesus. <laughs> you want to know sense? something, though? Um, I read that. First of all, the the Charlie Brown Christmas special was to it was they were so it was they were guaranteed to flop, you yeah. know. So like they were just like okay, like let's just like do this and see how it works. But um the the executives um is it CBS NBC CBS this was CBS? ABC sorry is it ABC? but they were very concerned about uh, they were really the concerned about like the, the religious overtones of like this cartoon thing that yeah. it almost like didn't get put through air. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be clear, they weren't like worried about peddling a Christian agenda as much as they were about offending Christians, uh, because the idea of putting this very important biblical quote in like a children's cartoon that wasn't like really, it was is pretty lighthearted. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Up until that point, Uh, so they thought maybe this is disrespectful to that Christian culture uh, was the thought at the time, and that's why it almost didn't get aired. And now it's like you. You look at it today and you're like, how could any Christian have an issue with this? It's so well done and, like, well-intentioned, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. A, a lot of them are, are – they contain a lot of biblical verses. So. You know what's interesting? We're talking about great speeches in movies. Yeah. And one that none of us put on this list, but I'll bet at least one of you have seen besides me. The King's Speech. Did you guys see that? The Oscar Best Picture winner? Oh, a long time ago, but I'm not In a galaxy sure. far, far away. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm just, like, surprised at how meh it was. Like, the whole movie was about this king with a stutter who had to deliver this wartime address in, like, World War One or World War Two, And he's, like, working with a speech coach, and it's this big, like, training montage almost of a movie where he's, like, getting ready for this big speech. And then he pulls it off. And I just remember, like, wow, this is kind of an underwhelming finale. You know what I mean? It's like the... Some, some one 
person who I saw the film with, like they, it, it's Colin Firth who plays, uh, is I believe it's King King George the Sixth. Um, so this is all going on in like I believe World War Two or something, mm. um, and he, he's delivering the speech. It's almost comparable to like, oh wow, I have to like get up and you know talk, you know amongst my classmates or whatever, you know, like somebody compared yeah. to like that, but I'm like, well, well this guy like, actually had like a disorder. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, well, <laughs> maybe like, it's like inspiring. But one thing that does make it seem a little less important is that he's not Winston Churchill. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the King is a figurehead at this point. So like, yeah, a, a good speech from him might like calm the public to some degree and like, let people know that everything's going to be Okay. But he's not like Winston Churchill, like, listen, guys, we got one shot to beat these Nazis and save our way of life. You know, it's just like a everything will be all right. Good will prevail. The British Empire, you know, may the sun never set on her. It's like not a big pump up like the other speeches we've talked about. So, Will, you said you saw this a long time ago, hey? The King speech? Yeah. Um, I remember when it came out. I think I was in middle school. We oh. went to... What, what do you mean? I wasn't looking for a story. I was setting up my thing. A uh, long time oh, ago, sorry. in a galaxy far, far away, an old man named Sheev Palpatine was trying to seduce young Anakin Skywalker to the dark side. <laughs> He's referencing Star Wars, everyone. One so of just... my favorite films of all time, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. And it's also one of my favorite memes because it's become a meme. Um, so... We just get this huge dump of lore from this uh, Sith Lord that later becomes the Emperor. And he says, Did you hear? Did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? I thought not. It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. It's a Sith legend. Darth Plagueis was a dark lord with the Sith. So powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midichlorians to create life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side that he could even stop the ones he cared about from dying. The dark side force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. He became so powerful that the only thing he was afraid of was losing his power, which eventually, of course, he did. Unfortunately, he taught his apprentice everything he knew. Then his apprentice killed him in his sleep ironic he could save others from death but not himself and that apprentice was uh darcidius aka sheep palpatine aka the emperor that was a long one wow. i love Flat that for cody good work good work so the good. emperor palpatine in there oh yeah isn't emperor palpatine um natalie portman no 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 that that's queen amidala oh padme oh well that shows what I know. Palpatine is uh, Ian, Ma- Ian McDermott. Okay. <laughs> you sly dog. He <laughs> caught me monologuing. <laughs> hey, that's a... That's uh, from The Incredibles when Syndrome does a monologue. <laughs> the Incredibles. It's a Pixar movie from 2004. It's a great film. What? Okay, this is maybe more about quotes than monologues, but yeah. what dialogue from a movie do you guys find yourself saying in your everyday conversations like what have you adapted into just your speech oh never, hi mark <laughs> never true. tell me the odds never tell you <laughs> the odds. that's a good one i uh I, okay so we've all seen walk hard the dewey cox story oh my god there's in the, in the movie jack white plays elvis and he does karate mm-hmm. and i like it started as a joke, a but now all the time I say, hush out, man, or look out, man, like in a bad Elvis impression. 
it's invaded like the way I talk. Um, is that really Jack White? Yeah, that's Jack yeah. White. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Everybody's in that movie, Will. I think another one. Hmm. Trying to like figure out how I'm going to say this like on air. <laughs> how are you going <laughs> to say this on air? It's just from like Clerks. Oh. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard. It was. Um, I'll tell you this after. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, going back to, I think, uh, the, uh, speaking of Clerks, though, um, mm-hmm. the director, Kevin Smith, is coming out with a lot of good works now. Um, he Jay and Silent Bob uh, reboot is out, I believe, um, in theaters as we speak. I have yet to get to a theater to see it. But um, he came out with uh, a movie in 1997 called Chasing Amy, which is all about a guy who falls in love with a girl, and the girl turns out to be um, like a, a, a standalone lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they have like all this like trouble because like she really likes him, but like it's she's always – she has like kind of this like, you know, baggage history and stuff like that of different things. And so they spoil alert. They accidentally break up. Uh, not accidentally. They actually just break up, you know, they break up finger traps are mentioned something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> finger cuffs. That's yeah, what it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chinese finger cuffs. <laughs> so now Holden is at this like diner and stuff. And the two reoccurring characters throughout all Kevin Smith films are Jay and Silent Bob. Um, and they come into the diner. They sit next to Holden, who is played by Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, you know, hey, man, like, you know, the times are tough, you know, and stuff happens or whatever. And so then Kevin Smith and uh, his character never talks throughout the entire film. Hence the name Silent Bob. Until yeah. now. And so he, like, he always, like, waits to deliver, like, this great big, like, monologue thing. He's like, he says, Chase and Amy. Ben Affleck looks up and he's like, what? He's like, what'd you say? He's like, Chase and Amy, man. Mm-hmm. And then he just goes on about like, you know, how um, this, this you know, relationship that he had like, you know, during his time, like it, it, it fell kind of flat. And um, like he got really mad at this girl. They broke up and now he like regrets like breaking up with that person and stuff. And so it's reflected by like Holden, Holden who is – um, ben Affleck, um, his situation or predicament where he like really liked this girl, but because of like stuff that she did in the past, it, it made him, you know, kind of, Oh, I guess it's like, I, right I have it up so. if you want. Um, what I really like out of the paragraph because silent Bob goes on for, I mean, it's a couple minutes long of him talking. Um, but he details the relationship he had, like you said. Um, but it ends with him saying, uh, so they broke up and she, he says she moved on and all I had to show for it was some foolish pride, which then gave way to regret, which I think is a really cool line. And he says, she was the girl. I know that now, but I pushed her away. So I spent every day since then chasing Amy, so to speak. And then he shuts up again for the rest of the movie. <laughs> so and he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's cool that, you know, uh, and that's kind of common with a lot of Kevin Smith's movies is that there's usually one moment where silent Bob like speaks up and delivers the thesis of the film um which we kind of talked about uh a lot of times it happens before deaths like we've talked about certain monologues here that just kind of wrap up the idea of the entire film so like american beauty was one that we talked about that did that Um, but this is another really good example of how sometimes the best way to say something in a movie is to just outright say it you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like like usually the, the saying is show, don't tell, but sometimes yeah. it's good to just lay it out on the table. Oh, there's so many instances in, in several movies where if somebody just had a conversation, it would like 
solve all of the conflict in mm-hmm. the movie. Like, um, this isn't going to lead into anything, but in Spider-Man 3, like, Mary Jane's uh, won't, refuses to tell Peter that she lost her job, and Peter's, like, desperately trying to help her and relate to her, mm-hmm. but she hasn't told him what's wrong, so he can't do it. <laughs> and she's mad at him the whole movie for this. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, going back to Walk Hard, because it's such a quotable movie. Um, but, like, in terms of just, like, laying on the table, like, when a character can surmise what's going on in the movie better with a monologue... Uh, Dewey Cox is in rehab and he's like tossing and turning in his bed with a fever and he just goes oh this is such a dark period for me <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's like, just so brutally open though. yeah they just like cut through you know usually the entire second act of a music biopic movie like they just hit the entire thing with the one line wow this is a really dark period <laughs> I'm hot and cold at the same time <laughs> he needs more blankets and fewer blankets <laughs> One of the one of my favorite movies um, is Goodwill Hunting, um, and especially for monologues because there's at least like four or five that you can oh, pick yeah. out. Um, in in Goodwill Hunting, it's basically um, this Matt Damon's character named Will um, is basically like this genius mathematician prodigy, much like um, our own Will. <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, but he um, he is kind of like. Uh, traumatized by like his past and stuff and he doesn't really think that he wants to be like this big mathematician to like help the world because like what has the world ever really done for him you know so Mm -hmm. he just refuses to it's almost like a side thing you know but um one day this professor discovers him um and he's like okay and then you know he gets in trouble by the law and so that kind of sets up it's like okay i'm gonna provide you a therapist which is robin williams and we're gonna get you like through this so then you can solve like these like really really difficult mathematical problems uh correctly and stuff and so so we can use you to solve these yeah pretty much so they they um (laughs) and and Will Hunting is pretty like aware of this and he's very standoff at first. And so there's the scene when they are um, in a park in Boston and, uh, you know, Matt Damon and Robin Williams are talking on a bench. And um, I just think it's, it's probably like one that um, people have seen, you know, um, do you guys have it? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty long speech. Um, so maybe it's best to surmise it, but it's kind of, it starts with a conversation about, you know, Will is is very book smart, um, but Robin Williams is trying to connect him to the real world. And so he says, um, so if I asked you about if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, you know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, all that stuff, the works. Right. But I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. And he kind of like goes on to say stuff about like, yeah, you know, about you know, uh, women, uh, from like, like a textbook sense, but I bet you've never woken up next to a woman you love and you can't tell me what that's like. You know what I mean? But then he, he kind of turns around by saying like, no one could possibly understand the depths of you, but you presume to know everything about me because you saw like some painting of mine and for context, like they get into this big altercation because, um, Matt Damon brings up, I'm sorry, Will Hunting brings up a, uh, a thing about, uh, the therapist's wife and, um, he, they get into like this brawl. And so it's like, um, you're an orphan, right? Do you think that I know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are? Because I read all of her twist. Um, does that encapsulate you? 
personally, I don't give a blank about all that because you know what? I can't learn anything from you and I can't read in some, you know, screwing book, you know? So it's basically like, I can't like learn everything, anything about you if you refuse to tell me things. But at the same time, like don't act like so all mighty because I've had the experience and you just have like the knowledge and stuff, Mm -hmm. which I think is like a really brilliant like thing to discuss in a movie. Um, especially when you have like this, um, really powerful character like Will's mind, you know? Mm. Well, and especially like, I feel like right now there's a big trend in movies, um, and in like the culture as a, as general, um, obviously brains are starting to be more recognized. Like, mm-hmm. like nerd culture is on the rise. Um, and so a lot of times movies simply glorify like a beautiful mind or like, like movies about like, wow, ultra smart people. Well, almost like, um, not Mary Sue characters, but like yeah. people who like are the ultimate like brainiac or yeah. like the biggest, like strongest man, you know? And I think, I think, yeah, maybe I can relate to what you're saying. Yeah. Where it's like, I mean, it becomes their superpower, but it also becomes very one-sided and like mm-hmm. smart as an entire personality now. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I'm off on a tangent there, but I think Goodwill Hunting does a really good job of saying being smart isn't enough. Right. It's it's not I mean, yeah, maybe it's a superpower, but if that's your only superpower, you're gonna lose the fight, you know? It's one hundred percent the message of the movie. Yeah. 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 We understood movie. Cool, we, we solved it. Um you don't need to watch the movie if you haven't seen it. If you just listen to that, you're good. We covered it for we, you. We totally should have said spoil alert at the beginning, but we didn't. We said it halfway Oops. through. <laughs> you said it half- well, I said it at the beginning of like a film. I don't know. Um, we got a couple minutes here. Are there any like things that you we've – they don't really fit into like a category, but you just mm-hmm. like really enjoy them anyway. Uh, I'm sure that there there's a couple on this list that we haven't gotten to. I mean there's the, the classic like – in the vein of motivational speeches, I guess, is the uh, Rocky Balboa speech where, like, he goes on this big monologue about how his son isn't, um, you know, turning out the way he should because he's uh, too busy blaming Rocky about being cast in his shadow and everything. And then it all culminates to the line, I'm sure, like, all of you know, it don't matter how hard you can hit, but how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. Uh, something, something. That's, that, how, winning that's how winning's done. done. Yeah, yeah, about getting back up again. Yeah, I had a lot of trouble with this actually because I feel like I watch a lot of comedy movies, mm-hmm. and in a lot of comedy movies, there's not monologues. There's a lot of really great lines and dialogue. Banter. Yeah, banter. I guess so. Like a couple that I had are from one of my favorite movies, Wet Hot American Summer, and I have two for this. The first one is a conversation between Coop, the protagonist of the film. And Katie, this girl that he's in love with. Um, But Katie starts talking about how, you know, I'm going to find you a a date tonight, Coop. Yeah, I'm going to set you up with this girl or this girl or this girl. And she keeps going. And then he just caps the whole conversation off by going, well, then I guess I'll cancel my order of Lindberger cheese. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the dumbest way to end the conversation. And it's not really a monologue, but this just like shows what you can do with dialogue. Uh, The other one is... Later in the movie, Coop is giving this impassionate plea to Katie about why he loves her. 
Um, and he's like, I love the way your hair falls on your shoulders. I love the way you laugh. I love the way you smile. I love that sometimes you're late for shul for no reason. <laughs> I love that you spend time with me and just like kind of glosses over that one. Shul is like Bible study for Jewish kids. <laughs> it's just kind of like a really weird thrown in there line that like points out that like, oh yeah, everyone in this movie is like 10 years too old and super Jewish to be playing their parts. Actually, yeah, that's that's like one category of monologue we didn't touch on. Like uh, admission of love is like huge for monologues. Like uh, when Harry met Sally, that, that big space is like, I love how it takes you 45 minutes to order a sandwich and I love it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like professions of love are big. I guess that's yeah. just not like our type of film. So maybe we don't know the classics as well. Right. Right. I mean, uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 1 had one that was super awkward and weird, but <laughs> but caused me to memorize it because it was so super awkward and weird. They're, like, in the hospital with Aunt May, and, and Mary Jane shows up, and she's like, well, so you take Spider-Man's pictures, right? <laughs> Does he ever talk about me? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we talk all the time. Oh, did did he like ask about me or something? He's like, yeah, he, he wanted to know, uh, uh, know what you're like. <laughs> and then he's, <laughs> and then he, and then she's like, well, what'd you say? And he says, well, uh, Spider-Man, uh, the best part about MJ is when you look into her eyes and she's looking back into yours, you don't quite feel right. <laughs> you feel stronger and weaker at the same time. And then he goes on with weird parallels like that. Mm. And then at the end, he's like, but you know what kind of man you want to be? <laughs> Awkward. All right. Well, I'm just a boy sitting front in front of a Will oh Lender. Oh, my gosh. Asking him Stop it. to cap off this show with one of his favorite monologue moments. Well, um, I think that there's a lot to like choose from here. Um, but the thing that maybe we should probably end with is the ending of uh, the Truman Show. Um, th- the Truman Show is about uh, Jim Carrey, uh, not about Jim Carrey, but his character is basically trapped in this world where he is being constantly filmed all the time for this mega mega TV show um, that's being it's being broadcast all over the world and it's called the Truman Show and it's all about like the life of this like one person and they create this like alternate reality for him and it's like super augmented and fake but it's like real to him and so at the very spoiler alert at the very ending of the movie he <laughs> figures out that like nothing is real and so he gets on this boat he sails off and um he tries to open this door but right as he's about to do it the voice of god which is just a big speaker you know like he's the like TV truman producer, you know right? like wait don't do this like the world outside is not as nice as it is in here you're not gonna do well and um like truman is like was I real? Like, was anything of this real? And the producer who's you know, talking to this guy, he's like, of course it was like you were real. And he goes off about like all the, like the, the many like marvelous moments of his, his existence, you know, like the, I, I remember the first time you lost your first tooth and Oh, that episode when you had like the first day of school or whatever. And like, just like it, it feels like really heartwarming, but it's also like it's time to like end the show and everybody kind of knows it. But the producer is like his name is Kristoff and he really, really wants Truman to stay because like it's more of the network's intention to like make him stay. It's very not not really like, you know, it's like almost like a psychological trick. And so the very, very ending of this film is just um, 
you know, Truman, who's about to like walk out and he says, in case if I don't see you, uh, good morning, good afternoon and good night. And he smiles. He looks at the camera. He does this big like take a bow kind of deal. And um, he leaves out the door. And that's basically like the ending of the movie. Really, really nice, like ending, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so, because he's been, like, it wasn't really his choice to stay there. And I feel like um, the the kind of person that you get to relate to with Truman throughout the entire film is very reflective on that ending, where it's like it's been like nice, but he just needs to leave at this point. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, I think that will about do it for um, monologues. And uh, you've been listening to The Best Take here on 106.7 KZLX LP Maryville. Um, Stick around next week. We have our uh, special on war films. Um, We'll take a look at all the uh, big films throughout history that have tackled on many different kinds of uh, combat and wars and combat political, (laughs) you know, fiends and whatnot. So um, stick around for that. And um, we're just here to wish you all a very good night. Good night.